Hey everybody, it's Drags. It's Wednesday, May 8th. Time for episode 297 of Patriots Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com and follow us on Twitter, as always, at Patriots CLNS. The Patriots announced Monday that former safety Rodney Harrison has been voted by the fans as the 29th person to be inducted into the Patriots Hall of Fame, beating out Richard Seymour and Mike Vrabel. Harrison, who helped the Patriots win back-to-back Super Bowls in 2003 and 2004, becomes the seventh player from those teams to be selected into the team's Hall of Fame. He joins Troy Brown from 2012, Teddy Bruschi, 2013, Ty Law, 2014, Willie McGinnis, 2015, Kevin Falk, 2016, and Matt Light just last year. Harrison will join offensive tackle Leon Gray, who was selected for induction by a 10-person senior selection committee in April as the 2019 Patriots Hall of Fame honorees. The date and time for the Patriots Hall of Fame induction ceremony will be, of course, later this summer, possibly early in the regular season. Here to discuss it all is CLNS Media colleague covering the Patriots, Alex Barth. Follow him on Twitter at RealAlexBarth, all one word, no underscores, nothing like that. Welcome back, Alex. Thanks. You know, I I, I figured you called me for this one because it is clear of me, you, and Evan on the CLNS team. There's there's one who's clearly more nostalgic than the other two. And um, any any chance to talk about the early Dynasty Patriots, I appreciate it. So thank you for having me on. Well, I love talking history, and this is a great time of year to talk about it because we're in between, let's face it, the draft where things start to settle down and calm down a little bit, um, and uh, rookie minicamp, then the OTAs, and then June minicamp, and then uh, regular camp in July. And this is just a great time to kind of reflect on the history uh, of the Patriots. And I think one of the great personalities ever to put on a Patriots uniform in Rodney Harrison. Yeah, I mean, I think it's understated kind of what he meant to this franchise. And when you look at the Patriot way, he was a huge piece of developing that, that whole mentality, that whole belief system, all of it. And he wasn't here for the first Super Bowl. He didn't get here till 2003, sure. But, I mean, I think he played just as much a part of that as, as maybe any other player in that the intensity he brought – and that kind of chip on the shoulder attitude he brought even a year after winning a Super Bowl, um, you know, going from 03 to 04, I think that was very important in laying the foundation of, of what turned into the Patriots dynasty. There are two great parts of Rodney Harrison's game, and they, in, in my estimation, are equal in value to the Patriots back uh, in that Patriots 1.0 version of the dynasty. And that is... His ability. You need to trademark that, by the way. The yeah. 1.0 and 2.0. That's just such a great way to refer. I've been doing it, and I give you credit, but you need yep. to trademark that. That's such a great way to refer to it. Oh, I think it's. Um, well, I don't think I'm the only one doing it, Alex. Full disclosure. <laughs> but I. Appreciate... You're the first one I heard do it. Well, that's I will nice. Say. Well, maybe I will apply for it because you're the first. If you get the first trademark, right? Exactly. Exactly. Um, but anyway, I think getting back to my point, uh, Alex, that. Rodney Harrison did two things that Bill Belichick appreciated. First of all, he produced on the field. And Belichick will tell you time and time and time and time again, it's great to be a leader. It's great to be vocal. But the first thing you have to do is produce and execute on the field. And I thought Rodney Harrison picked up the defense. And uh, Belichick saw in him uh, after the 2002 season something that he could plug in right away and use – um, 
uh, use in the Patriots defense. And that was somebody who was a ball hawk, but was also a quarterback, uh, at the safety position, uh, deep, you know, when deep in the, you know, the second level, third level of the Patriots defense. And the other thing he did, of course, very, very well was he was a leader in the locker room. Him and Willie McGinnis. Nobody ever crossed their paths. But I want you to kind of focus on what he was able to bring as a, uh, you know, a leader on the field when he was actually out there. Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of cool to see because that, that kind of player doesn't really exist anymore, right? Um, it's, it's tough to compare him to anybody playing in the game now because the fact of the matter is if he comes along 10, 15 years later, he's a linebacker. That's what he is. He's probably more like – I don't want to say Dante Hightower because Dante Hightower would not have been a safety back then. But, you know, that big mauling physical presence, you just don't, don't see safeties. It, it allowed him to command a lot of respect. The way he, he combined the mental element of his game with the physical element. I mean the clip that's been going around, which is one of my favorites of all time, is the clip from his Football Life documentary when he talks about when he first got to New England – and it was Lawyer Malloy's job, who, by the way, is another fantastic player and should at some point get into the Patriots Hall of Fame. Um, but it was Lawyer Malloy's job, and, and uh, he was there competing for it. He wasn't there to make friends, and they talk about him starting fights at practice and getting under Brady's skin and having guys you know, have problems with him. And then it just cuts to a clip of Belichick who just sits there with that Belichick smirk and goes – best practice player I ever had and that's really all you need to know about Rodney Harrison is that he was such a good player but he played like the 90th man on the roster at all times both in both in practice and in games uh I'm sure a lot of his teammates didn't necessarily like him in the moment but he committed the respect where you had to try to reach his level a four seven and that got the best out of everybody around them and I think you know you hear guys say that ultimately at the end of the day looking back they appreciate him for it and that's kind of similar to what you hear about Belichick when you're in the moment playing for him, he can be tough and you hate him sometimes. But when you look back at it, he gets the best out of you and he, he helps you achieve your goal of, of winning a Super Bowl if you're an NFL player. So I think Harrison is as close as we've – if Belichick was a football player, if Belichick was an NFL player, Harrison is the closest to what it would be of what Belichick would be of any player we've seen. That's an interesting uh, analogy and an, an interesting – um, comparison you draw there between Belichick, the coach, and Harrison, the player, and the intensity. And I think there's some legitimacy to it. Uh, but what I also very much believe is Belichick loved the fact that Rodney Harrison could bring something to get under the skin of Tom Brady to make him mentally tough at practice to grow as a player during games. I don't think that's underestimated, uh, you know, um, can be overstated Talked enough. enough. Absolutely. I think having well, Harrison... there's two guys. There's Brady, Brady's admitted that there's two guys that have gotten under his skin like nobody else ever, opponents or teammates, and it's Rodney Harrison and Ty Law. Right. And, you know, to have been, to have played against both of those players in practice, Brady absolutely grew into the kind of leader that he is on the field and grew into the kind of quarterback that can read um, defenses better than any quarterback, I think, in history. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, and, and again, it goes back to it. Everybody remembers Rodney Harrison, the big hitter, and that, yeah, that's the trademark of his game. I'm not going to say it's not, but he doesn't, I don't know, get the credit for having the football IQ that he did. And, again, you look at that whole defense, and kind of the annoying thing about this whole 
induction process for the Patriots Football Hall of Fame is they have so many guys that deserve to be in, and they need to start putting in more than one at a time because Harrison embodied what that defense was. But you had so many guys in, in Harrison, McGinnis, Law, Bruschi, Vrabel, Seymour, all of them that were just such high IQ football players. And Brady's going against that five days a week. So he had to raise his football IQ and he had to do it quickly or he was going to get eaten alive at practice. And that's kind of what set the Patriots apart back when the game was, was very physical and not like it is now back before a lot of the rule changes. There wasn't as much of an emphasis placed on football IQ, and the Patriots are one of the first teams to really go all in on that, and it's because of guys like Rodney Harrison who were able to pair the mental part of the game with the physical part of the game so well. I don't know that that was – look, there were certainly players who did it all-time greats, but – it was not a common trait. You see it a lot more now. The football IQ part of the game is, is focused on a lot more now. 20 years ago, that wasn't the case. You were either a big mauler or you were a crafty, smart player. Harrison was one of the few in his era that was both. I mean, you look at the other safeties of that time, Ed Reed, Brian Dawkins, That's that might be it for me. It may be John Lynch if you want to throw him on there, but he might be a little later. I don't know if he's the same era. Um, but, you know, you either had the big mauler physical safeties who were just flying around the field and taking people's heads off or those, those crafty safeties who would sit back, read a quarterback's eyes. Harrison's one of the few guys who did both. You know what's fascinating also to me about Rodney Harrison? We're speaking with uh, Alex Barth of CLNS Media, my colleague, along with Evan Lazar. Follow him on Twitter, at RealAlexBarth. There are so many great and distinguished moments that Rodney Harrison had as a player um, that you can point to great, just singular moments on the field. Of course, there are two moments in Super Bowl 42 that he'd like to forget, and he's spoken ad nauseum about these. The David Tyree catch being one, uh, where he was literally posterized for eternity in the NFL, uh, with David Tyree making the greatest single, uh, catch in NFL history. And then, um, what, a couple plays later on that same drive, he regrets not switching the defense uh, to cover from cover zero to some type of cover two or cover three, and remember, and what I remember from that same football life on um, Rodney Harrison was him not overruling Junior Seau and Seau telling him no, stick with the call, stick with the call, and Rodney Harrison saying, "I knew it was wrong, I had a bad feeling." And obviously, uh, when you had um, the catch on Ellis Hobbs in the end zone, Plaxico Burris over Ellis Hobbs, um, you know, you felt for Rodney Harrison because you know that's going to live with him forever. Yeah, and I, later on in his career, I mean, he certainly wasn't wasn't the same guy that he was early on. And I think part of the reason they stuck with that play is you think Super Bowl Rodney Harrison, he's a guy who can cover – in that situation, going back to the Tyree play, and, the, and then you talk about the switch as well, but specifically with the Tyree play, I mean, that was him at the end of his career, and that was kind of what did that defense in, is that they had a lot of talented players, but they were guys who were, you know, anywhere five, six years past their prime, and just couldn't necessarily play that full 60 minutes and make that one last play they needed to make, so it's unfortunate Harrison's posterized in that moment, certainly, but on the other hand, he has the defining moment to me, of Super Bowl 39, and, and he had the moment that clinched the dynasty, intercepting Donovan McNabb at the end of that game. Um, and that that's always the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of Rodney Harrison is him 
uh, doing the, the the arm flap, the eagle flap up the field after that interception to win the Super Bowl and sink the dynasty. And then the great, another Patriots Hall of Famer, Gil Santos, his great call of uh, two at back to back, two out of three. Yes, it's a dynasty. That with the Harrison clip to me is the moment. That's the moment that the Patriots became a dynasty. Going back to the stats, Alex, uh, first two seasons in New England, Harrison was not only the Patriots' leading tackler each year, but he also led all NFL defensive backs in tackles both years, and he had a career high with 140 tackles in 2003, followed by 138 more the next season. You know what that tells me? The guy was already always, always around the ball. Yeah, he, he absolutely was. And even when he wasn't, the, you, if you want to talk about Rodney Harrison's stats, the big one for me is seven interceptions in nine playoff games. And those didn't come against scrub quarterbacks. You're that's talking a about great Peyton one. Manning and Donovan McNabb. And that, that's, a, a, that to me is kind of, and it doesn't get talked about as much. It's probably not quite on the same level, but you know, the, the Mariano Rivera runs scored on in the playoffs. More men have set foot on the moon than have scored on Mariano Rivera in the playoffs. Seven interceptions in nine games when you're facing the likes of Peyton Manning, uh, Steve McNair, who was an MVP the year they played him, Donovan McNabb, um, uh, that, that Panthers offense, which was outstanding, even though he got hurt in that game, they played some good offenses during that run, and Harrison victimized every single quarterback they saw. Um, so again, you know, it's been kind of put out there a bit this week. It got buried for a while there, but something that's not talked about enough, seven interceptions in nine playoff games for Rodney Harrison with three, I believe, coming against Peyton Manning. It's three or four. I can't remember off the top of my head. Well, you mentioned that, and, you know, I certainly did not mean to be Nancy negative with the uh, two moments in Super Bowl Forty Two. No, I mean, it's, it's part of his <laughs> legacy. Like, you have to mention, if you're going to tell the story, tell the whole story. I think that's fair. Right, but um, you mentioned the eagle flap. Another couple of moments that stick out to me as defining Rodney Harrison and why he's in the Patriots Hall of Fame. Obviously, the production is there, but there have to be defining moments that stick out that made you who you were as a iconic figure in the Patriots franchise. That's why you're getting into the Hall of the Teams Hall of Fame. Right. One was the interception of Ben Roethlisberger in the 2004 AFC Championship that essentially yep. sealed it, right? And uh the second one would have been uh, to me, and you alluded to it, his play in Super Bowl 38 against the Panthers before he came back on the field with a broken forearm and, you know, had to watch from the sideline. To me, you know, and that's why when we all saw Patrick Chung this past Super Bowl um, break his arm against the Rams, everybody immediately thought back to Rodney Harrison in Super Bowl 38. Well, so do you want, do you want an interesting stat that means absolutely nothing, but it's Interesting. Fire away. The Patriots are the Patriots are three and zero in the Super Bowl when their starting safety breaks his arm because Eugene Wilson broke his arm in thirty nine as well. I did not know. I did not. I so, completely forgot about that. Not that. Not saying that it should become part of their strategy. No. But three and zero when 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 the starting safety breaks his arm in the Super Bowl. It's it's you know when when. We normally say break a leg. Maybe with the Patriots, it should be break an arm going into the Super Bowl. Well, obviously, what we're referring to here is if you ask me who's the toughest Patriot um, and the most ownery Patriot, I'd say probably John Hanna would be right up there, number one. 
I, I, it, it's hard to imagine anybody being tougher, more ornery when he played than John Hanna. Now, I'm an old geezer, and I get that, and I go back to the 70s all the time. He was a true Hall of Famer to me, and uh, a one of the very, very toughest Patriots ever to have played. And there have been so many down the road. You know, Willie McGinnis is certainly... He was ornery. Uh, he commanded. Logan Mankins played a whole season on a torn ACL. That would certainly be that he would certainly be in that discussion. But I would make the argument that Rodney Harrison is right up there with them in terms of the toughest, most intimidating, mentally and physical, uh, physically uh, gifted players to ever play for the Patriots. I mean, he played mean. He was he was a mean guy on the field. He played angry, but that's what the fans love. I put out there on Twitter on you know, yesterday, Monday, um, when he got in, so just to test a theory, top five, I asked people, there are five Patriots of the dynasty era. It doesn't matter how good they were. doesn't matter how long they played here. Just five favorites. Um, and Harrison showed up on most lists, and he was as high as two on a lot of them. And I think there is a significant population of Patriots fans. If you ask who is your favorite player from the Patriots you know, going 2001 to now, uh, I, I think there's a significant part of the population that puts Rodney Harrison second to Tom Brady. So let me ask you this. Why do you think – and there was an uproar. I'm not going to make this hyperbole, and I'm not going to overstate this. But there were those out there who cover the team uh, who believed that Richard Seymour and Mike Vrabel would have been in before Rodney. So I, I did vote for Seymour. He – Played for the Patriots longer. He was drafted by the team, and I, I think he was, when it's all said and done, a better football player. Not by much, but he was. I think that, you know, Harrison wasn't here, wasn't in New England as long, and he it was the back. He, even though he was still those two years, those three and four, nobody played the safety position in the, in the NFL better than he did, but it was sort of at the end of his career. You did have the suspension in there. Um, I, Seymour probably was more deserving, but again, it's a fan vote. And I knew, I remember saying to people, I knew it should be Seymour, but it's going to be Harrison. And all three should be in. And again, it goes back to what I said before. They got to start doing this more than one at a time because they're going to get so backlogged and well, we're going to no. have to wait until like 2060 for guys no. on this past Super Bowl team to get no. in. I disagree. Um, Look, Alex. Right, it's a bit of an exaggeration, but there, there's, there's yeah. a lot of players. You know why they do this? It's so that they can stretch it out so that if that's fair, if the franchise goes through a lull, they'll have one of these every single year and they'll all be legitimate um, inductees into the Hall of Fame and it won't be a stretch. Right. And that's, you know, you're not looking at David Patton going into the Hall of Fame or him being on the ballot for consideration. Ooh, hold on now. <laughs> on David Patton. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm being be harsh it, but, on but, very under, very underrated Patriot. Uh, okay, Patton. who who else can I pick on? Um, I'm, I'm Rache saying, wait, Caldwell. Can I go back one thing you said about John Hanna, real quick. <laughs> yeah, because I it it really bums me out that that my generation of Patriots fans do not appreciate John Hanna. I still think he's the second greatest Patriot of all time. He's probably the greatest offensive guard to ever play the game. And I nobody besides Evan Lazar wants to watch offensive line tape, especially from the 70s. But I really wish we could just sit every Patriots fan down. Like during halftime at the opener, just don't do a show. Don't do anything. Just put – how long is halftime? 15 minutes? 15 minutes of John Hanna tape on the scoreboard and make people watch it because talk about underappreciated. The dude was an absolute animal 
uh, played the position years ahead of the of of the way it was played at the time. Um, completely underrated. I, I, I haven't met a Gronk. I haven't met a Vinatieri. Second greatest Patriot in history. Uh, you get no argument from me, and I don't think from old time Patriot fans who are above the age of 35 or 40. I don't think they would argue at all either. Um, Rodney Harrison in Canton, yes or no? I mean, he should be. He's not going to. The First of all, you have the track record of, of you know him being a dirty player, and those guys tend to have trouble getting in. The NFL Hall of Fame is very political, unfortunately. And, you know, you saw a guy like Terrell Owens not get in on the first ballot when, come on, he's a top 10, if not top 5 receiver of all time. Um that you have the steroid suspension as well, the PED suspension uh, when he was in New England. That's not going to help his case. He absolutely should be in. Like I said before, from 03 to 04, you can stretch it to 05 if you want. Um, nobody played the safety position better than Rodney Harrison did. And I know this is a very toxic name to attach him to, but from a pure athlete basis, to me, it's a lot like Schilling in that he was very elite. For probably not the window a Hall of Famer should be a little bit shorter, but when you throw his playoff numbers in, it's a no-brainer he should be in. And he's going to carry that baggage. It's a different kind of baggage, and I won't go down yeah. that road with Schilling. Um, but he certainly has his baggage, and that's probably going to be enough to keep him out. But the, it, he, he was elite, the best in the league for more than one season. His overall career numbers are spectacular. He's an all-time great playoff performer. He should be in. Speaking with Alex Barth, covering the Patriots, along with myself and Evan Lazar uh, for CLNS Media. And you can follow him on Twitter, as always, at RealAlexBarth. That's R-E-A-L-A-L-E-X-B-A-R-T-H. Let's move on to something else right now, uh, Alex. And and that is um, this transitionary time between um, the draft, as things start to cool down a little bit, and what the Patriots might be doing leading into minicamp, rookie mini, I'm sorry, rookie minicamp, uh, and the minicamp and the OTAs. What might they be, uh, pursuing? So yeah, so as of four o'clock on Tuesday, free agent signings no longer count against the compensatory selections. Uh, so Belichick can go out and kind of go wild and Jordan Veldeer looks like they're already going to sign an experienced tackle, a good player. I wouldn't be surprised. They're going to talk to some defensive linemen. Ziggy Anza is an interesting one. He had 14 sacks a couple years ago with Detroit before being hurt most of last season. He was a college teammate of Kyle Van Noy's, and Kyle Van Noy was asked about it on Tuesday. Have you been in touch with with Ziggy? And he kind of – you could tell he was holding something back, and it's not tampering. He's a free agent, as Kyle pointed out, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Patriots were interested in him. I remember during the draft process his year, he was going too high for them to take him, but he was one of those names that was talked about. You know, if the Patriots really want to get aggressive and trade it up, this – the other really interesting one on, on the defensive side of the ball is Nandamik and Sue. I think there's a strong pros list and a strong cons list for going after him, but they, he fits a need. And he's somebody they could certainly talk to, although he's stated in the past pretty bluntly, he's a hired gun. He's going to go to the best paycheck, and given the Patriots cap situation, I don't know that they're going to be able to do that. On the offensive side of the ball, there's a number of receivers out there that I'd love to see them make a run at just to bring it to camp, kick the tires. Dontrell Inman's an interesting name, former Charger. I just think he'd be a good fit with Brady, sure-handed, good route runner. He can return kicks a little bit as well. He'd be an interesting name to bring into camp to compete. And then I know people probably want sexier names. So the name I've been on since 
really since before they signed Demarius Thomas, the guy I thought they were going to sign over Demarius Thomas is Michael Crabtree. To me, he's a better fit for the offense than Thomas. He's not coming off an injury. He's the same age. He had a better season last season. I would love to see them give Crabtree a shot. I'm not really sure why he hasn't been signed yet, although I'm sure that in itself should be alarming to me. And then the other one that you know it's going to get thrown around a lot, I don't know if there's anything to it, is Des Bryant. He's still out there. We know he wants to play in New England. The Patriots could probably get him very team-friendly. I don't know if he has anything left. He posted a workout video the other day where he was having trouble cutting. So... I, I don't think know that's the best done. idea, but you, he would have been I think signed he's done last too, year. But you're gonna you're gonna hear that name a lot in the next two months. As desperate as the Patriots were last year uh, at the start of the year, and Des Bryant was out there, and for him not to hook on with a team like the Patriots, I think he's done. You, you know who he is for the Patriots this year? He's Eric Decker. If none of the guys they brought in work out, he's last last case, you know, worst case, last chance. All right, let's let's just look. Right, that to me is if, if he has any role with the Patriots this year, it's what Eric Decker was last year. It's just a look, middle of camp. Nobody else is working out. People are hurt. You need a body. You know, he played at a high level at one point. You might as well see if there's any drop left in that bucket. What about Kyle Rudolph? Kyle Rudolph's an interesting one. It's just it's tough to tell because there's nothing out there about what his price might be. I've seen a third round pick. I've seen a fifth round pick. I've seen Jonathan Jones. I'd probably swap him for a fifth. One year left on the deal. It is a little money heavy, but if it doesn't work out, you can let him go. I like Rudolph. I actually think he's somewhat underused in Minnesota. But again, it's he's not worth a third-round pick because you're not going to get a third-round pick back for him when he hits free agency. This is probably it for him. This is his last go. He's slowed down significantly. So I, I, I'd like to see them make the move for the right price. I just Minnesota's always been a team that in, in, at least in my memory, every time I see them talking about trading a player, they always seem to be asking uh, on the higher side. And I think they're going to do that again here, and Belichick's not going to pay too much for Kyle Rudolph. Like me and Evan talked about extensively during the draft, in, in the post-Gronkowski era, the Patriots are not looking to replace him with a tight end. They're going to devalue the tight end position and look to get more production out of the running backs. So if Belichick can get him for the right price, I'm all for it. I just... I feel like somebody's going to offer more than a fifth. Somebody's going to offer more than the Patriots will because I don't think they're valuing the tight end position like they used to. So I don't think they're going to put the same resources into getting Rudolph like they would have even a year or two ago. How much time are you going to be uh, spending around Foxborough uh, in the spring? Hopefully, hopefully a lot. I know there we got every other day through the rest of May, including Nikhil Harry on Thursday, his introductory press conference. So check that out on clnsmedia.com Thursday night. I mean, as I'm going all three days of OTAs, I know that. And then um, as much as I can up until the spinner season starts, and then I'm all in on that till training camp. So um, however, however often they'll let me down there, I'll be down there. Well, we look forward to your coverage. It's always a blast talking with you, uh, Alex. And uh, what do you do uh, up at, with the spinners again? Uh, so I am. I was their PA announcer last year. This year I will be their on-field MC and uh, do some promotional stuff for them on social media through my uh, character. It's actually a character I created called at bat AB. Um, you can, that's a hashtag. If you check out the little spinners page, there's some wild videos on, on there of me uh, – um, 
uh, lightsaber battling Chewbacca and playing with bobbleheads and stuff like that. So, um, oh my you know, God, getting you got you got to do something in the off season. All right, I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. Thank our great guest and colleague Alex Barth covering the Patriots for CLNS. You can and should be following him at Real Alex Barth, all one word. That's R-E-A-L-A-L-E-X-B-A-R-T-H. For producer Mike Alonji, the founder of the network, Mike uh, Nick Gelso, this is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media Podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcasts or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.